Okay, let's talk about candles for a minute. Do you know that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? It's insane. That's why I think it's really cool that Notes candles exist. They're working to eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel over and over again. It is super easy. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, so all you do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar and fill it up with the wax beads and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. The Santal and Atlas Cedar scent is like this woodsy calming smell. It's so nice. And they have oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rose water, and a total of 13 really great options to choose from. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Right now, notes is giving our friends 15% off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using the code that sounds fun. Just use that code that sounds fun when you're placing your order. That's that sounds fun at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We've got a great show in store. I hope you heard our little drop-in invitation yesterday. But if not, remember that our big group, our Chase the Funners, are going through Chase the Fun together starting today. You can still get in on that. Don't worry. Just sign up at the link in the show notes. Or you can pop over to my Instagram to read day one if you don't already have your copy. I'm going to post up to day five. So that gives you time to snag your own copy. And I'll slide into your inbox every 10 days or so to give you some encouragement and share some of my reflections as we all chase fun together. I'm really excited to get started. Before we dive into today's conversation, a quick word from one of our amazing partners, BetterHelp. We all agree that showing up in our everyday lives as the healthiest version of ourselves is the goal, right? We're doing the best we can to take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. How we care for our minds affects how we experience our lives. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like bathing it in scripture and doing puzzles or prioritizing rest. But when we need a little help, there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Having someone to help us sort through our experiences, our thoughts and emotions so that we can take care of our mental health is a game changer. I know my own counselor has been invaluable to me in learning to catch destructive thought patterns and learn more helpful habits to replace them with. BetterHelp is online therapy where they match you with your therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk with your therapist via phone, video, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, and it's more affordable option than in-person therapy. My friends get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash That Sounds Fun. Again, that's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash That Sounds Fun. Today on the show, I get to talk with my friend Sharon Hottie Miller. Y'all, I love Sharon. She's a teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which she co-founded with her husband, Ike. I'm also a big fan of Ike. She is a prolific blogger and contributor to all the publications. You may have read her work at Propel or Hermeneutics or She Reads Truth, just to name a few. And her books, Free of Me and Nice, are so good, y'all. If you have not gotten Free of Me, if you have not gotten Nice, you need them. 
But her newest book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises, had me feeling like Sharon had been reading my mail, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I was practically offended. It was that good, you guys. I think we're all going to benefit from her wisdom in this area. So here's my conversation with Sharon Hottie Miller. Uh, I saw your interviewing Jody Benson. I did you yesterday, know I, Ariel. You know I love Disney. Yes. I saw that. I was so excited. Have you read her book? No. Okay. I have it if you want to take it. Okay. It's, it's amazing. Oh. The car, you're going to love Does her. She just, is it like a memoir? Yes. Okay. And she's just like Ariel. She is Ariel. And in real life, she's best friends with Belle. I know. <laughs> I know. I feel that. Tell me why you love Disney. I didn't know that we're going, by the way. What? So tell me why you love Disney. Oh, I am a, like a Disney girl. I'm an I'm a Jamie Golden calls them Disney adults. Yes. And she says that with like a sneer. Yes, kind of, yes, yes. But I embrace it and yes. welcome it and receive it. I'm yes. like a Disney adult. Really? And mm-hmm. you love it. Do y'all go a lot? We did so I grew up going and to Disney World. Disney World. I grew up going and then when we got married, I had never been. Oh my gosh. And I said you can't understand me <laughs> if we don't go to Disney. Uh-huh. And so we went, and I pulled him in. Yeah. And so we started going, like, pretty regularly. We would go every, like, couple years. Yeah. But then when the pandemic happened, and this is actually, this crystallized for me that I was an Enneagram 7. Yes. I actually didn't know for a while. The way that I coped with the pandemic was by watching this series on Disney Plus called The Imagineering Story. Yes. Have you seen this? No, but I have heard about it. Do I need okay, to? Okay, you need to watch it. Yes. It's like if you love Disney, and I do. nostalgia, yes. any part, it's, it'll speak to the startup side of you, the risk taker yeah. side of you, the dreamer side of you, because it talks a lot about like the risk that he took and like how much failure is a part of the creative process, yeah. like all of that. So I started watching this on like a loop during the pandemic. Oh my gosh. And then that was my gateway into Disney podcasts. What? Okay, I don't know this world, but I'm interested. There's like a whole Disney podcast world. Yes, <gasps> there is. Oh, Sharon. Okay, what are you listening? Are you listening to people who go to the parks and have tricks? Or are you listening no, no, no. to history of Disney? History of Disney. Oh my gosh. So there's two different podcasts I listen to that go into the history of Disney. Like a fun fact, I just learned is that Doritos were invented at Disneyland. What? They were I didn't know that. Yeah, when Disneyland first opened, they had vendors, different vendors. Yeah. And so one of those vendors was Frito Lay. Yeah. And so they had a restaurant called Casa de Frito, which uh-huh. sounds really authentic. Yes. <laughs> and they were throwing out the old tortillas and someone said you should fry those and turn those into chips. And that's oh how Doritos gosh. were invented. Was oh from my Disney gosh. World, Disneyland. Yeah. So I listened to two that are history. It's really fascinating. Do you know and their names off the top of your head so we can link one to One is called Connecting with Walt. Okay. Oh, one is called the Disney History Institute. <laughs> oh my God. I know. This is, <gasps> I'm so into this. This is awesome. <laughs> and then there's one called the Imagineer Podcast where okay. they interview more, like, I, they've probably interviewed Jody Benson. Yeah. And that interviews more Imagineers or animators, that kind yeah. of a thing. And then there's one called the Diz Unplugged that is, it's like an umbrella family of podcasts, but they go more into sort of current events, you know, things that are happening at the park. So it's really, they're, 
It's becoming a problem. No. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm having a great time. The other thing you're going to love about Jody Benson, as you're saying it, is she. this was so under the radar, but she always said Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Yes. Always Walt yes. Disney World. Mm-hmm. It was never Disney. Mm-hmm. or Ma- even in, She's like, Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney. I was like, she's saying Walt every yeah, that's what it's it called. Was, yes, it that's is what Walt Roy Disney, Disney wanted. What his yes, brother wanted. Yes, have you heard this? Have they told the story? I heard this in the Keys of the Kingdom tour, mm-hmm. where you go, you get to do that. Have you done it yet? I haven't. Okay, if you are a Disney adult, okay. you really need to do the Keys of the Kingdom tour okay. because it's like half a day. Okay, at, but you get to see all sorts of wild stuff, and they go when you go on the ride, you get to cut the line, and your tour guide is in your ear uh-huh. on the ride, pointing out things to you. Okay. It is so cool. And part of it is you go underground. Okay. And you see the back and forth. But in it, they tell the story of how, because Walt was sick when Disney Wor- Walt Disney World mm-hmm. was being built, mm-hmm. that Roy hung the plans for Walt Disney World on the ceiling of the, of Walt Disney's hospital room. Yeah. That's, he was still, like, making decisions for yes. his hospital room. Yes. Yeah. That is wild to me. Yeah. So I need you to watch the Imagineering okay. story okay. and then text me. Okay. I will. I will. I can't <laughs> wait. Do you have a favorite ride? That's really hard. Probably Pirates of the Caribbean. Really? The one at um, Walt Disney World, Mm -hmm. Magic Kingdom. Is Magic Kingdom your park of choice? Yes. Yeah, it's it's not the best ride, but it's like a classic, and it takes me back to my childhood. That's how I feel about Peter Pan. Peter Pan feels like... Every time I ride it, I'm like, you know, this isn't like a great ride, mm-hmm. but it's just so it's really colorful mm-hmm. and it's really nostalgic. And yeah. I have a real thing for Peter Pan. I just think I love that movie. And I need you to know, like, this is how Disney podcast gets started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that the next one launching on the That Sounds Fun Network? Sharon and Annie talk Disney and Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Two females teaching on Sunday mornings yes. and... At Walt Disney World. I think the world needs that. Okay. (laughs) You know what? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm very interested. I'm going to dream it up. Okay. Yes. And my other favorite ride is is Little Mermaid. I just think Little Mermaid is really sweet. Yes. Your secondary park in Florida? Epcot. Epcot. I haven't Mm -hmm. done Epcot since I was a kid. I Mm -hmm. need to go do it. Yeah. Okay. I want to do it when Food and Wine Fest or Food and... Yes. Food and Wine? Yeah, that's what it is. And there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy ride there. And it's it's awesome. I haven't done it because it opened like in the last few months, but it's supposed to be awesome. Yeah. Okay. We are Disney people. Here we go. We're (laughs) we're the first... Are we the first faith-based Disney podcast? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Here's where we're going to just start because I already mentioned it. You are a teaching pastor at your church. Mm -hmm. I am also on the teaching team at Mm -hmm. my church. I don't often call myself a teaching pastor, but that Mm -hmm. is because I haven't done seminary and don't have my PhD. Mm -hmm. You do. (laughs) What do you have your PhD in? So it's technically in educational studies, but the topic is on women and calling. Yeah. And then even more specific than that, I looked at why evangelical women go to seminary mm-hmm. because not many women go to seminary in general and even fewer evangelical women. And so I was curious among the women who choose to go, like what worked, what yeah. encouraged them to get extra training and ed- extra education to steward their calling when so few of their peers do the same. So it was yeah. a really a really amazing project. What school did you go to? Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Okay. There's a Harvard degree right now that is about faith in public life. And I am like, and you have to do it there. You have to move there. It's a one-year program. Maggie Rogers just did it, the musician. Wow. And I am like so, t- as if I could get into Harvard, but I am so tempted to try. 
That is so But I'd have to like quit everything for a year and go to school. <laughs> and I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. Dear everyone, don't panic because yeah. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. But are you glad you did it? Are you glad you took that time to study? Yeah. You know, I never wanted to be a professor. Like yeah. I never wanted to be in academia. And we we always will need, you know, Pastors don't need MDivs to be pastors. Yep. You know, the disciples, many of them were uneducated men. So it's yeah. not that we must have pastors who have gone to seminary, gotten PhDs, but we do need some. Yes. You know, we need a diversity of gifts and training. And that is becoming rarer with mm-hmm. that people with advanced education are then taking that and going into ministry. Mm-hmm. But we also happen to live, we're in the Raleigh-Durham area that is one of the most highly educated areas in the country just yeah. because we have Duke and UNC and NC State and there's some other schools as well. Yep. And so we are like per capita have one of the like highest ratios of people with PhDs in wow. our area. Oh, that's and cool. And so our people are, they're, they're very smart. They are well Red. They're also curious. They won't take your word for it just oh, because wow. you're the pastor right. and you say right. it. You right. have to back it up. And I thrive like in that environment. Yeah. I love that environment. I love how it pushes me and it, it keeps me from getting lazy and how yeah. I'm teaching and how yeah. I'm thinking. And so I think my husband has his PhD as well. His is in theology. But I think God, we didn't know this at the time, but I think God was preparing us for the very particular context in which we would be doing ministry. Do you have a master's as well? Yes. We both got our MDivs from Duke Divinity. Yeah. Wow. So are y'all friends with Kate Bowler? Were y'all there at the same time? No. I mean, I I know you're friends with her. You mentioned her in the book, so I know y'all are. Actually, Kate and I aren't f- like friends for Like we yeah. know who each other yeah. are. Yeah. And she was actually, I don't think she was there. I think we just missed each other. Yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of friends in common. That is, wow. I, also, why didn't you put Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller on your book? <laughs> so I'm from the old school. Do you know Karen Swallow Pryor? Yeah. So she's very like formal about this too. And I kind of take her direction. She said that you're only supposed to use the doctor in the professional context in which you received it. So if I'm not in an academic environment, then I don't go by, like, Dr. Miller. Unless I was, like, teaching. So... Okay. There you go. The more you know. Yeah. My pastor at Crosspoint also has his doctorate and mm-hmm. doesn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said about you and Ike is so true to what he says is, is he said, I didn't want my education to close a door that God was opening. Right. And so he was like, I did as much as I could to open up any door so that mm-hmm. if God had a thing he wanted me to do, that people wouldn't, the world wouldn't say no. Mm-hmm. And that's what you guys have done for your community has mm-hmm. gone like where you might have said no to Annie teaching you mm-hmm. because of my lack of that kind of education, professional education. Is that the right word? Like actual divinity school Mm -hmm. they aren't they're listening to you Mm -hmm. that is amazing yeah it's fun do they call you dr miller at church no (laughs) they call me sharon (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) annie they don't even nobody calls me dr miller i'm now only gonna call you dr miller so prepare for that okay so one of our questions you know our friends who get the afd weekend review emails on fridays get Mm -hmm. to submit questions Mm -hmm. and cheryl had a really interesting question she also is a female pastor Mm mm-hmm And she said, I struggle to find connection with other female pastors because there aren't many in my area. Mm -hmm. What advice for cultivating and supporting both locally and globally Mm -hmm. your other female pastors? How do we find—I mean, that's what your degree was 
talking about is how do we find these other women who are pastoring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. And it's I just was reading some research from Barna that was saying pastors across the board are burning out at just historic rates. Yes. But among women, it's even higher. And I think a lot of that is because of the loneliness and the isolation where you don't have any peers who understand exactly the challenges that you're facing. And so what she's naming is real and it's really, really hard. And I have struggled with it. I continue to struggle with it. And one of the things that I have had to be really proactive about is reaching out to women elsewhere. Yeah. And that are leading in other fields. Is that what you uh, mean? Actually, leading other women who are leading in their church, <gasps> but just not in your but area. But not in my area Got because it. there just aren't that many. Mm-hmm. And so I have friends in, you know, California. You know, I have mentors in on the West Coast. You know, there there are friends who are not nearby at all. Yeah. And so I've had to sort of, you know, piecemeal it together a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that has been just a bummer, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it is like very very lonely. But for Sh- Cheryl, was that her name? Yes. Just to say that if you're feeling that this is hard and slow, I think that is normal. At least mm-hmm. that's been normal for me. Yeah. Are you seeing women pastors burnout like we're seeing male pastors burnout? You know, it's hard to say because I don't know that many female yeah. pastors. Yeah. I had posted about it on social media after I read this research, just asking for women's stories anecdotally. And a number of women did respond and said just juggling, you know, family and and parenting and the job. And and that's not just true of the church. Like it's true in any field. Women tend to be juggling more of family and work at the same time. And that gets really, really difficult. So I, I think a lot of women are feeling that. It's the isolation. And again, this is not just in pastors. I think this is women leaders across yeah, the board are yeah. burning out faster than yes. male leaders right now. Yes. So I, I don't know a ton. Honestly, I know because I know more male pastors, I'm hearing more from men who are having like a really – I think yes. everyone's just having a hard time right yes. now. It's a hard season. It f- I Sometimes when I imagine it, I picture when male pastors burn out, it's like a firework show. They just blow mm-hmm. up everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we've watched it in our church. But I feel like women pastors and women leaders are like the end of a bonfire. Mm-hmm. We don't. They aren't a fireworks show. They don't blow. In general, this is all bell curve, and I'm making assumptions and mm-hmm. generalities for sure. But it feels like when women burn out, they say, "I just decided to stay home." Yeah, because I couldn't handle both anymore. Mm-hmm. The pressure of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to focus in one place. Yeah, or I'm moving to a different role, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it is the same pain mm-hmm. and it is the same cause mm-hmm. that the men are doing our two genders just express it so differently mm-hmm. yeah does that feel true i feel like women just disappear yeah. we just don't see they're peers of ours mm-hmm. that have stopped writing and speaking mm-hmm. and podcasting and people just go wait a minute mm-hmm. hold on i haven't seen anything from her in six months yeah and yeah. men mm-hmm. end up and religious news services because yeah. of what they do to their family and their church. Yeah. Well, I will say I do know a number of men who have also decided 
just to just I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And yeah. and it wasn't dramatic and it wasn't bad. Yeah. You know, it just the last couple years it's really difficult to express how hard it has been on pastors. Yeah. And it it has You been, write about it in The Cost of Control because yeah. you write about like 2020 was pandemic, mm-hmm. an election and social upheaval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a similar strain on teachers. Yes. I mean, we're seeing historic levels of teachers leaving as well. I think there's a similar strain on doctors and nurses yes. specifically. So it's not even just pastors. But yeah, pastors are across the board really suffering mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And it's you are seeing in the news, this is what makes it really hard. You see in the news these like really bad stories where they burned out and they like really hurt their church. And I actually suspect that is not the majority of how male pastors burn out. I think Mm. it probably is much more, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm leaving the ministry. Yeah. And you don't hear those stories, but because the majority of the burnout stories we're hearing is about these, you know, really toxic stories, there's no place for pastors to go and say, I'm hurting. Mm. And because it's kind of you go on social media and pastors are sort of the persona non grata right now. And so no one wants to hear (laughs) what a hard time you're having as a pastor. And so I think there's a lot of people that just want kind of healing from church hurt instead. And so it's a very it's really hard. It's a it's a tricky there's people everywhere are needing healing of, of different forms. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about one of our amazing new partners, Give Directly. You know when someone asks what you want for a gift-giving holiday and you think to yourself, a gift card. What I want is a gift card because that way I can decide for myself. And what I end up with will actually be what I need. Well, the same idea can really apply to charitable donations too, right? People in poverty are the experts on their own lives, just like you and I, and their own needs. What they're missing is the funds to make sure they have those needs met. Not to mention that not all people in poverty have the same needs. So why send them the same things? Give Directly is a nonprofit that lets you send money directly to people living in poverty with no strings attached. In the last decade, Give Directly has delivered over $550 million, you guys, to over 1.2 million people across 11 countries. So when you give cash, you entrust individuals to invest in what they need most instead of donors or aid organizations deciding for them. Hundreds of independent studies have shown direct giving can have really positive impacts on health and nutrition and income and education and more. Studies show giving money without strings attached can more than double double incomes, increase school enrollment and entrepreneurship, decrease skipped meals, illness and depression, and cut domestic violence by one third, all without decreasing hours worked or increasing spending on temptation goods like tobacco and alcohol. After you donate, Give Directly delivers your funds directly to someone living in poverty. Because they efficiently run the whole process from donations to delivery, about 90 cents of every dollar you donate goes directly to a person living in poverty, while the remaining 10 cents covers the cost of getting that money to them. We can end poverty in our lifetime. That's why we tell you about things like this. We want to be a part of that. Direct giving is an efficient, proven, and empowering way to help. So visit givedirectly.org slash 
slash sounds fun, and your donation will be matched up to $500. Let's go. That's givedirectly.org slash sounds fun. And I've got one more amazing partner to tell you about, Brooklinen. I don't know if this is true where you live, but even though school is getting started around here, the uh, sticky summer temps are sticking around. Luckily for us, Brooklinen is here to keep you cool and living in comfort at home and on the go with their best-selling bedding, loungewear, and towels, and more. Brooklinen is home of the internets and Annie F. Downs' favorite sheets. It was created by a husband and wife duo to provide customers with hotel-level home essentials. They offer everything from snuggly sheets to cozy towels and robes, loungewear, accessories, and much, much more. By working directly with suppliers, Brooklinen cuts out the luxury markups and passes these savings back to their customers so you can get their incredible products at a reasonable cost. Brooklinen launches new products, colors, and patterns all the time for their sheets, towels, and robes. Think bold pops of color and adventurous prints with some limited edition collections selling out in as little as a month. If you're a warmer than average sleeper, make your entire bed feel like the cool side of the pillow with Brooklinen's signature crisp, breathable classic percale sheets and replace your heavy winter bedding with their lightweight comforters for the ultimate breezy, light as a cloud feel. And since each is crafted with smooth, long staple cotton, you'll be drifting off to sleep in no time while staying chill throughout the night. Y'all, I cannot tell you how much I love my sheets from Brooklyn. And it is everything I'm saying to you is true. It is so cool in the evenings. And even outside the house, Brooklyn's effortlessly cool loungewear collection includes classic tees, shorts, and more that will keep you comfortable throughout the last summer heat waves thanks to ultra soft, breathable jersey and cotton fabrics. Y'all, these are the actual softest tees I've ever put on my body. And if you're not sure where to start, you can shop with ease thanks to Brooklyn's online quiz. Say it with me. We love a quiz. Whether you're looking for the perfect set of cooling sheets, lightweight towels, or breathable loungewear, their quiz is the best place to find a curated list of high-quality products perfectly suited to your unique preferences. You don't just have to take my word for it either. As a matter of fact, check out Brooklinen's website to read over 100,000 five-star reviews from people all around the world. Yes, you heard that right. They have over 100,000 five-star reviews. And for a limited time, Brooklinen is offering free pillowcases with the purchase. Okay. If you miss out, you can use a promo code that sounds fun anytime for $20 off plus free shipping on your order of $100 plus at brooklinen.com. But right now, free pillowcases. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code that sounds fun. Head to brooklinen.com. Use the promo code that sounds fun, which is what I'm literally about to do to get some free pillowcases and some new sheets. So remember that the show notes are your one stop for links to our sponsors, transcripts of the shows, and your chance to sign up for the AFD Weekend Review, and we'll email everything to you. So it's all there for you in the show notes. And now back to our conversation with Sharon. How did you, I mean, and you and Ike, y'all lead a church together. Mm -hmm. Are you teaching equal amounts? Do you teach the most because he, I read, I mean, in the book, you talk about y'all's power dynamic mm-hmm. as part of control. Yeah. So he was teaching more, especially when my daughter was an infant and a toddler, and she's now going into her last year of preschool. Mm-hmm. And so my life is starting to shift. I'm having more free time during the day. And as that shifts, I am teaching more and more. And so right now, it's probably pretty evenly split. Yeah. How have y'all handled your burnout moments? Very differently. So Ike, in the beginning, he went to a very dark place. He, When everything shut down, 
he went into this kind of existential fear that because our church plant was only a year and a half old. And so he was kind of like, are we going to survive? What's going to happen? And so then on top of that, everything was politicized. Then we had, you know, dealing with conversations about race. And that was very heated and hard. And it was all of this happening at once. And one thing that he has been really, really open about is that he is an adult child of an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and he's actually working on his first book about it and it's going to be really healing for a lot of people. But one of the, one of the effects of being an adult child of an alcoholic is they are prone towards codependency. And we had never noticed that in him because we don't have a codependent marriage. But what became clear after a while is that he had become codependent with our church. Wow. Yeah. And so he was trying to manage, like, how everyone was feeling and felt like it was his responsibility. And when he couldn't do that, he just became emotionally exhausted. And so he hit a wall hard. I responded very differently to the pandemic. I was like, this is a great opportunity to innovate. <laughs> and you watch the news a ton. And that was like, that was, that was, that was, we were out of innovate. sync for a while because I was like, let's innovate. And he was like, what are you talking about yeah. right now? And yeah, I was like, this is great. Like we can try different models of church, you yeah. know? And so I was sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed yeah. about church at the beginning. But on the other side of it, when we've had all these like hard conversations with people in our church and there's been so much upheaval in churches, like a lot of people have left and come. And for me, there's been a lot of relational fallout from the last two years of ministry. And that is coming home to roost for me, yeah. like right now. Yeah. And so I'm realizing I'm like angry all the time Mm. and that a big work for me in this next season of ministry is going to be forgiveness. Like that is my spiritual work right now. So in the midst of releasing a book, (laughs) the Lord's like, Hey, you know, you're putting out a book about not having control of anything. Forgive everyone. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, it's yeah. not nice. Yeah. So it's <laughs> give been, me a break. It's been a ride. One of my favorite quotes in your book is you said, humans cannot tolerate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, I stopped on that page mm-hmm. because I was like, that that's actually it. Mm-hmm. The reason we even have to forgive anyone is because we couldn't tolerate the uncertainty of what happened mm-hmm. and what it said about us and then whatever the what happened is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I read that quote, I thought, is this why you had to write that book? Is it because the uncertainty that you were experiencing, that your church was experiencing, that your family was experiencing? Like, did you just have to work that out? Oh, yeah. I mean, when when everything first happened, I was not... The loss of control over our church was really hard for Ike. That was not hard for me because, yeah. as I said, I I really I'd been noticing problems with the model of church that we were doing, and I'd been looking for ways to be creative about it. And so, when everything shut down, I thought this is great. This is an opportunity. But my issues with control came out in completely different ways. One was our kids were home all of a sudden. Mm. They were my youngest was two. Yeah, we were homeschooling. I believe teaching children is an actual spiritual gift. Yeah. I do not possess it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm having to teach my children. And then we're also leading our church at the same time. And so I felt out of control every day. I was yelling at my kids all the time because they're so loud. Wow. They are not. Someone recently said to me, I've never met pastor's kids like your kids. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like, say more words. They're like <laughs> me. My kids are very loud. They're not like good it. little Christians. Yes. They're very loud. And so I felt like I could exert control over them by being louder. Wow. So that was that was a control response. Yeah. So I'm yelling at my kids every day. So I'm also having to apologize to my kids every day. And then I'm also, like I said in the book, I'm responding the way most people did by just being on the Internet all the time, trying to figure out what is this virus? Yes. You know, what is it going to do to us? You know, are we safe? Are we not? Where? How is it spreading? When is this going to be over? You know, all of that. So I'm constantly on my phone, you know, reading the news, reading the yeah. latest data, all of that. And so, you know, Ike had his one control response. I had mine as well. And as I'm realizing, and I'm, I'm watching the people in my church who are responding similarly. Right. You know, they're on the internet. They're looking for advice or giving advice. All of this is an attempt to exert control over a situation where we have suddenly lost control and mm-hmm. certainty and predictability. And as I watch this in my church, in you know people online, in myself, and realizing, okay, this is bringing out, it's exposing our issues with control. What, what should I do? Yeah. How should I shepherd my people through this? And realizing in the past, whenever I'd heard someone talk about control, it was always like, well, you just need to not. Yeah, that's right. Trust Jesus more. Yeah. I was like, like, that cannot, that is not helpful. You just need to surrender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how many times can I physically open my hands and it not change my life? Yeah. And I know. I was like, well, yeah, that's true. That's right. That's, right. that's biblical, but it's also not helpful. And that was when I realized, okay, I need to come at this a different way yeah. and understand it in a way that actually motivates me to walk away yeah. from this thing. And that was the birth of this book, The yeah. Cost of Control. Yeah. One of my other favorite parts of the book is where you talk about how the illusion of control is so powerful mm-hmm. that actually if we just convince ourselves we have control, we actually feel better. Yeah. Uh-huh. What is that about? Why is that so right? And why am I so embarrassed yeah. that you like read my mail about that? If I think I have control, yeah. I'm fine. It's yeah. when I don't think I have it. Because how many times have we both said like, I didn't have control. I knew I didn't have control, mm-hmm. but now I really know it. Yeah. And so, but yeah. I knew I always had it. I didn't have it. I'm like, no, I... I was I felt great because I thought I had control. Yeah, exactly. That that was fascinating. So I have a chapter called The Illusion of Control. And it's about this, it's a psychological term. I think we've all used that phrase, the illusion yeah. of control, but it's an actual psychological term that was coined, I think, in the 70s yeah. to describe this human I this practice yeah. where we will think we have more control than we actually have. And so one really funny example that I mentioned that they've done studies on this that show that casino players will shake their dice harder for a higher number when they want to roll a higher number <gasps> or they'll shake the dice softer to roll a lower number. And that doesn't do <laughs> anything. <laughs> But I'm like, I get it. But people do I it. I get it. All yeah, the time. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's this illusion of control. And and then they, what was even more fascinating is they did further research showing that when we think, just like you said, when we think we are in control, we actually do feel better. We so there's measurable, it's unreal psychological yes. benefit. Yes. The problem is that eventually is shattered. Yeah. 
And I think that's what ultimately happened in the pandemic is we were living in this world, thanks to our technology, where we were promised ever-increasing predictability. Yes. You know, you you can use GPS to go where you need to go. We have a weather app, you know, to tell us what the weather is going to be in an hour. You know, we have shipping updates that tell us like exactly when your package is going yes. to arrive. And this made us feel so good and so certain. And it made us feel like we had increasing mastery over our world. And what happened in the pandemic was this market correction Mm -hmm. of reminding us, no, actually, you do not. But because you nurtured this in yourself over time so deeply, because this illusion was so convincing, what happened is your spiritual muscles of faith actually atrophied in the meantime. And so suddenly we found ourselves unprepared to live in the actual world. Yes, because, I mean, it's even happening right now still at airports. Mm-hmm. We're like, we have, we think, well, if that flight says 735, I will leave at 735. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are not going as well as they used to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your baggage is not always getting where you want it yeah. to go. And, and yet, we are flying from one side of our country to the other that mm-hmm. used to take weeks in a wagon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you go like... The control we think we have, we do not have. And mm-hmm. and you talk about this in the book, too, that, like, we're the safest generation that's ever lived. And mm-hmm. we're more worried than any generation that's right. ever lived about yeah. our safety. Yeah, and that fast. Yes, and our yeah. technology is better than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. But we feel we need more technology for more control. Right. Yeah, exactly. What is wrong with us? Your book, this is what your book has done to me, is it's given me so many words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Sharon, what about this? What about this? What about this? So what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, because the answer is not, you know, then, well, you just need to let go and let God. Yes. You know? (laughs) It's not working for me. That's not working for me. Yeah, so the arc of the book is really kind of biopsying control. Like, I really wanted to get into why we struggle with control, where did it come from, what are the different ways that we seek to have control. That's super important because one of the – one of my favorite chapters in the book is the one on knowledge and information as yeah. a form of control. That yeah. We rely on this as a tool of control yep. and exposing it because I don't think we realize how much we are taking our control issues to the internet instead of to God. Yes. And so Ooh, you better say somebody is, somebody paused right there because they were like, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure about sharing. Yeah. Just so I look much. at that and then I look at the cost of control. Yeah. How, what, and, and this is what ultimately was motivating to me was realizing this was a law written into all of creation in Genesis three when Adam and Eve reached for more knowledge, more, you know, godlike power and status than they had. They were essentially reaching for control. God had given them power, love, peace. He just hadn't given them control. And so they break that boundary, and immediately after, they experience anxiety. They experience shame. They experience relational division. And this is the cost of control. Mm. And it is one that we are doomed to reenact again and again and again. Anytime we reach to control something, God hasn't given us to control. And one of the obvious things that, that I have in the subtitle is, 
it creates anxiety. Yes. That you reach for control to soothe your anxiety, but it actually exacerbates Dude, it. More. I wrote that down. I wrote that exact thing down that an increased amount of control actually has increased our anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you experience this in like low stakes examples where, you know, I mentioned the shipping, the tracking the package. Yes. And how you'll hit like refresh, you know, to see well, where is it? Why isn't it here yet? And so you're like refresh and you go to it thinking, you know, this is giving me certainty. This is yeah. giving any predictability, but when you hit refresh and that darn package hasn't moved, yep. you're back where you started. Yep. You're just as anxious as before. And so we experience this in low stakes ways, but we also experience anytime you have a loved one who's making self-destructive decisions yes. and you are trying to stop them and you're doing everything in your power to make them make the choice that you know that they should Mm -hmm. make and the anxiety that you feel and you think it's because of the situation and it is a little bit but Mm -hmm. it's also because you're trying to control something that you cannot control and whenever we do that it creates anxiety and so I really wanted to name that this there is a cost to trying to control it's not an if it's a when and that reframed for me whenever I was in you know conversations with my husband where I'm trying to make him make a certain decision and suddenly stopping myself and, and thinking, okay, I can try and control him. I can pressure him. I can manipulate him, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And he will make the decision that I want him to make. But it will cost our marriage. Yeah. It will cost our intimacy. And I might not even see that today. It right. could be five years from now. That's right. You're just planting the seed of mm-hmm. that cost right now. It may, yeah. You may not see the fruit right away. And that was the thing that wow. really motivated me yeah. to drop that like a hot potato. Yes. Because I understood it wasn't just that I shouldn't control, but that it will cost me yeah. when I try. So once I kind of realized that, it was really helpful for me. But then I, it raises the question, well, you know, do we just let go and let God afterwards? And... What helped me was to look back, you know, we see in Genesis 3 that yes. Adam and Eve have have freedom, you know, they have peace, they they have love, you know, they have everything essential to thrive. And then all of that is broken because of this grasp for control. Mm-hmm. But if we turn back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see that even though Adam and Eve didn't have control one thing that they did have was agency. They still had this power to influence themselves and and situations around them. It was just this power with limitations on it. And so the final chapter or chapters of the book is looking at what is the God-given agency that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, and how can we put down control Mm -hmm. to pick back up this this power that God had given us in the beginning. There's one line I want to read to you that I would love for you to talk about. You said, we can be in control or we can be in community, but we can't be both. Mm. Dude, is that true? Yeah. So that is that in the chapter on autonomy, Autonomy. which I want to talk about because I'm like, what's the rest? (laughs) I, I wrote down, is autonomy different than independence? Yeah. That's a good question. Thank you. My dad loves when people say that. So thank you for saying that. He always calls me. Yeah, I mean, independence, those are probably synonyms, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. That might be a wrong answer, but I'm just going to spit out. Those no, are probably, good, right. those I, are probably I could, synonyms, yeah. I would say. But and in that chapter is where you said we can be in control mm-hmm. or we can be in community, but we yeah. can't be both. I think there is a slight difference in nuance. I'm a verbal processor, yeah, so I'm like, I like thinking it. this out loud. I think independence is a little bit more about pure freedom, whereas autonomy is a little bit more like self-governance. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, 
independence is freedom from, and autonomy is much more like you can't tell me what to do. Ah, yeah. I would say that's probably what the difference. So I got, I got there. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I, that's. She's a doctor, everybody. That was Dr. Miller right there. That was Dr. Miller. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so in that chapter mm-hmm. is where you say we can be in control, we can be in community, but we can't be both. Yeah, so I have a in, – in the section on different forms of control, things that we use to feel in control, one of those yep. was autonomy. Yeah, do you want me to read the others real quick? Can I do that? Sure. Knowledge and information. This is how we control. Mm-hmm. Knowledge and information, power, mm-hmm. money – Autonomy, theology, and shame, dude. <laughs> this book, Sharon. Okay, go ahead. Talk to me about it. Talk to me. So autonomy, we live in a culture that highly prizes personal rights. Yeah. And is, is hyper-individualistic. And part of that is actually for very good reason. You know, we have seen the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. We have seen, I mean— Slavery, yeah. you know, the institution of slavery is an infringement upon yes. a person's agency, and to some extent, I think some autonomy is is God given. Mm-hmm. And so, th- there's a very good reason why, you know, with the Catholic abuse scandal, the Southern Baptist abuse scandal, you know, the USA Gymnastics, you know, there's all these different stories of abuse of power where people's agency and autonomy was infringed yeah. upon. And you have I, a great list in the power chapter. Because there's all sorts of things like when your boss makes your employee work crazy hours mm-hmm. yeah, or when a parent is too harsh with their children mm-hmm. and when a leader has a organ- – if an organization has a culture that is fear-based. Mm-hmm. So power isn't always sexually connected. Yeah, but exactly. But so often it mm-hmm. is literally I can make moves that you cannot make. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. And so there is an extent to which this correction is needed. Yes, yes. And I really want to affirm that. But what we are also seeing in our culture, I would say, is an overcorrection mm. into this territory of you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. And this is a really, as Christians, this is a really difficult line to walk because we you know, the the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is thy kingdom come, yes. thy will be done, yes. not my kingdom come, mm-hmm. my will be right, done. Right. And so a lot of the language that you see people using about themselves, like you can't tell me what to do with my body, you can't tell me what to do with my family, that is kingdom language. Mm. And as Christians, we should be troubled by that. And so I wanted to come at this from a different angle and name that autonomy when we put this hyper emphasis on it and absolutize it, that it becomes about control. This is about your kingdom. And one of the ways where we really see this come home to roost is whenever you're trying to be in community as a church, because we have this vision of church in Acts 2. We see it again in 1 Corinthians 12, where we are this interdependent family, where we rely on one another. And when one person does something, it affects the whole body. Mm -hmm. And that is scripture's vision of the church, but that is irreconcilable with this absolute emphasis on autonomy. And so that's why I say you can be in control or you can be in community, but you cannot be both. And that's not to say, and I can't emphasize this enough, 
That is not to say if you have a pastor who is telling you, you don't get to think for yourself, I think for you, or you don't get to interpret scripture, I do that for you, or you don't know what's right, you need to believe me. That is a cult, and you need to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Give us a call. We'll tell you. That's a cult. That's exactly right. Um, And so there there is a spectrum here, and it's really, really important to name, but to also be careful of swinging in the opposite direction where we're not allowing anyone to speak into our lives anymore. So, Hey friends, just interrupted one more time to tell you about another amazing partner, Stitch Fix. One thing about me, I love letting experts do things they're experts at. It's why I hired a business coach. It's why I don't change the oil in my own car. It's why Prince Craig at our office makes the reels for Instagram. It is why shopping with Stitch Fix is so much fun. Whether you need some wardrobe staples or some signature pieces, Stitch Fix can help refresh your look. It is so simple. To get started, you take your style quiz so your Stitch Fix stylist can learn your preferences. We love a quiz. Things like your favorite colors, your preferred fits, and the price range you want to be within. And then you schedule a fix. One of their expert stylists will send you five pieces that fit your style, size, and price range with no subscription required. You get to try them on at your house and send pics to your best gals for consultation. You keep what you like, you return the rest. If you knew how many texts were in my phone of these exact situations of us trying on clothes, sitting them back and forth. Also, Marco Polo. I get it, you guys. It's what you get to do here. It's the easy way to get items that are just right for you from brands you know and trust like Madewell. I love Madewell. And Sanctuary. Adore. They have styles for men, women, children. Stitch Fix is seriously the best way to discover clothes that make you look and feel your best. I love how customized the experience is. Sign up today at stitchfix.com slash that sounds fun to get $20 off your first purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash that sounds fun to get $20 off your first purchase. It's a limited time offer and you have to purchase within two days of signing up. And I got one last incredible partner to share with you, Liquid IV. Liquid IV is the VIP of our offices. I know we've already talked about how hot the weather still is around here, but it really does serve as an every time I step outside reminder that I have got to stay hydrated if I want to feel my best and have the energy I need for everything I want to do. Making hydration a priority can go such a long way in helping us feel healthier in our everyday lives. The good news is... One stick of liquid IV in your water bottle hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. Plus, liquid IV products taste great with 10 refreshing flavors, Concord grape, lemon lime, pina colada, and tropical punch. I mean, talk about the TSF best summer ever. Am I right? Listen, I was in the mountains and I had some of that Concord grape. Delish, everybody. Delish. And I felt great even though I was in high altitude. We all kind of have our favorite flavors around the office. Okay, so Jamie and Kelly on the management team are all about the guava and the Concord grape. Craig, the prince, loves tropical punch. And Lillian, who runs everything around here, says strawberry is great. Some offices have water cooler conversations. Well, we have water flavor conversations. Liquid IV has got five essential feel-good vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, and three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients and without gluten, dairy, soy, or any GMOs. So grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code that sounds fun at checkout. That's 25% off anything and everything you order when you shop better hydration today using the promo code that sounds fun at liquidiv.com. I need to know 
what your favorite flavor is. So tell me when you decide. And now back to finish up our conversation with Sharon Hottie Miller. I like that you write about the work you and Ike have had to do around your ability to change people's minds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because autonomy is so high in our culture mm-hmm. that even, and you and I experience it a lot on mm-hmm. the internet mm-hmm. of people yelling. You, mm-hmm. it, it, I just need to tell you on microphone, I think I've said this to you in real life as well, but I'll say this in front of everybody. Like you handle social media backlash, if you want to call it that, or unhappy um, patrons to your social media with such strength and kindness. Mm. Are you afraid and you're not showing it? Are you mad and you're not showing it? Or do you feel as peaceful as you read because you're not trying to change their minds mm-hmm. necessarily? Yeah. When I read that in the book, I thought, well, I see her act this out mm-hmm. every day on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what you're referring to, there's another chapter where I talk about knowledge information as a form of control and how I really struggle, not on social media, but in my own church, from this illusion that if I could just download the right facts into people's brains, if Mm -hmm. I could just walk them through scripture, if Mm -hmm. I could just show them these are the wise counselors, these are the experts that we sought to make this decision, and I could just put that in their brains, Mm -hmm. that they would change their minds and they would agree with me. And that is false. Yeah. That is just not how it works. Yes. I was trying to control them. Yes. And instead it was causing anxiety in me. I was ah. laying I was laying awake at night rehearsing these conversations wow. and thinking if I said it this way or if I said it this way, mm-hmm. I would change their minds. And I was straining my relationships with them. Yeah. And so that's for those of you that haven't read the book, that's what Annie is referring to. But as far as social media So I, do you feel like those are very different? Because to me when I was reading that in the book mm-hmm. I thought, well this plays out in her Social life, no? Yeah, I think I caught on a lot faster to the limited influence of social media to change people's minds. Mm. I think I hung on in my actual lived life to the, like, relational power of that. And it's still, honestly, like, just as limited in some ways. But on social media, I think you can tell pretty quickly if someone is there to engage you sincerely or not. And if they're not, I don't. I just don't spend any time on it. Yeah. Um, I also, if someone comes at me really in a really mean way, you are telling me about yourself because I would never go on social media and just start attacking strangers. Yeah. And if I did, it was be it would be because I'm not doing okay. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm able to discern that pretty easily on social media. Yeah. And I'm increasingly convinced that the most important work of Christian leaders, pastors, authors right now is to model how to engage social media wisely. And that is almost more important than what we are saying. Wow. Is to, And sometimes that means just not responding. Yep. yep. That I'm saying something just as loudly by mm-hmm. not responding. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see this happen to me or any of our friends, where something we do causes backlash mm-hmm. online, and this control concept was really powerful to me, reading about that, thinking about the internet and going like, oh man, we all we can control is ourselves. Because one of the questions I wrote down halfway through the book is I said, is it important to determine what we do have control over? Mm-hmm. And you answer that by literally saying like, next to nothing except your self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so how things play out on socials and real life for our friends listening that are doctors, nurses, mm-hmm. <laughs> that are teachers. I mean, the most peace we can have is just realizing we don't control anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's really hard. You know, one piece of social media is you also can't control what people think of you. Yeah. And that is really painful. Yes. Because there are times, and I've experienced this in ministry, where it wasn't just that someone disagreed with you, but they impugned your faith or they impugned your character. And that is really hard Mm -hmm. when you really care about your work and you really care about the people that you're reaching. And I had to, with that specifically, and this is kind of going in like a little bit different direction than what you just asked, but probably people just need to hear this. One thing that I had to work through at the end of the day was that I'm not getting anyone into heaven Mm. and I'm not setting anyone free. Yeah. Only Jesus does that. Yeah. And so if people don't like me or think badly of me, but they still are good with Jesus. All right. Then that has to be enough for me. Yeah. And that's really hard. Yeah. That's really hard. But that's something I've also had to really work through in the last few years. Yeah. Me too. There's something about our public lives that gives permission for people to say online whatever they think of us. Mm-hmm. And recently when I had a whole bunch of people get mad at me at once, it opened up this door for a lot of fringe people to go, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to say, mm-hmm. here's how I feel about Annie. And I was like, where are y'all coming from? Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? And, and as I was reading your book and thinking about it, I just have thought, oh, yeah, in the end— I think we all love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. we are all going to end up together in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I have to be great with that. Yeah. And lose the control of that mm-hmm. and let it go. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So one of my takeaways also that I've been thinking about because of stuff going on in my real life with some of my friends is it also feels like the illusion of control can really lead to having a secret life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So will you talk for just a minute about, like, why do we not need to have secret lives? Mm-hmm. And and what does that actually look like for the women who are listening? Because mm-hmm. in my head, I see a mom sitting by the pool listening, and and she doesn't realize. I mean, everybody knows when they mm-hmm. have a secret life, but she hasn't called it that. Mm-hmm. And would you kind of define what it's like to have a secret life and mm-hmm. why our illusion of control plays into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to recommend, so by the time this airs, I I did a three-part interview series with, the first one was with Jess Connolly about the cost of controlling your body, and then the second was with Derwin Gray about the cost of controlling your church, and this is all on YouTube. Yep. And we'll link straight to these. So this is about this is about to release. It will have released by the time this interview airs. But my last one is with Beth Moore, and it's about the cost of controlling your image. Wow. And your reputation. And she goes into this and yeah. she tells this story of how when she was, you know, a young woman, like a teenager and how she would basically leave her house. And by the time she got to the other side of the street, she had like turned into a different person and mm-hmm. she would kind of like leave that other false, that other life like behind, like yeah. no one knew it was going on. And so I highly recommend anyone who is hiding yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe knows it, you know, to some extent that you, you should listen to tune into that interview. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. such a sweet word of grace. But yeah, that that is another cost of control 
is when we're trying to manage what other people think of us yeah. is that we end up becoming really deceptive. Yes. And yeah, I'm trying to what so what was your question exactly? I just want about you to that? talk about uh, kind of define mm-hmm. what a secret life could look like because it's mm-hmm. not just having a whole secret family. Yeah. It's, it can be so much more yeah. insidious than that. Yeah, I mean, I actually my second book, Nice, really yeah. was like kind of a deep dive into how we are a lot of us are discipled into this image yeah. of nice girl Christianity. And what happens is we become so good at cultivating the exterior that the interior just completely rots. And the metaphor that I actually use in that book is of like a Christmas tree that you've cut it, you've cut it off from its root system, but you decorate it. And for a time, it looks beautiful. You know, but because it's been cut off from its root system, this tree is actually dying. And there's a lot of people in the church that that is their reality, but Mm -hmm. they don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I would want to say to anyone who's listening, you might not know that, you know, like like that was another thing that um, Jess Connolly said in my interview with her is a lot of women will say, I don't struggle with body shame. You know, I feel great about myself. And and she'll say, no, you're not free. You just have an 18 point plan to like keep yourself together. And that's not freedom. That's control. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people where you you've lost the sense that you are constantly holding it together and you're managing, you know, what you're, what people think about your kids and you're managing what people think about your marriage and you're managing what people think about you, your career, your appearance, like whatever it is. And I want you to know that the anxiety that that creates in you and the fear that that creates in you and the fragility that that creates oh, in you, yes. like you don't actually have to live that way. Right. And that freedom, the freedom that we are offered in Christ is not actually hypothetical. It is actual. Yes. And if you don't feel free, you aren't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so that that's a major cost of control yeah, is yeah. not just the double life that you unintentionally create for yourself, but that you're just not free. Yeah. You're not actually free yeah. and that you can be. Yeah. And that's why I wrote that book. Yes. I hope Amazon puts nice and the cost of control and like, if you buy this, also buy this (laughs) for our friends who didn't get it. And you and I talked about nice on the podcast Mm -hmm. back in, (laughs) let me look it up, back in episode 164. So people can go back and we'll link to it so they can hear it. Okay. The end of the book, I don't want to give it away Mm -hmm. because I want everybody to read it, Mm -hmm. but it's also not a novel. It's help. But you talk about like, when we're dealing with control, we name it, we order it, we mm-hmm. create it. Like literally looking through Genesis 3, this mm-hmm. whole thing, mm-hmm. Genesis 3 tells us how to do it. One of the mm-hmm. ways that that Adam brought order but mm-hmm. didn't bring – he didn't control the animals. Mm-hmm. He brought order to them was by naming them. Yeah. So our friends are going to order this today. It's mm-hmm. still pre-order today. Yes. So uh-huh. they can get the free audiobook mm-hmm. and a group study, study guide. guide. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they can go order it today mm-hmm. and get all that if they go to – what's the website to – all the information in. They can go to sheworships.com. Great. Okay. And it's all there. We'll, again, link to that in the show notes. But So they do all that today, mm-hmm. but the book's not going to get there till Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's the move today? To When you realize like, oh yeah, I'm trying to control everything mm-hmm. and I'm losing my mind and I and let go and let God in cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I would say two things. The first is God doesn't give you control, but he does give you agency. Mm-hmm. And I go into depth about what are yeah. different forms of agency. And one very, very simple one is simply self-examination. Mm-hmm. We see this in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve rebel against God. They hide. And then the first thing that God asks them is, where are you? And that is not, that's a rhetorical question (laughs) because God already knows where they are. Yes, yes. That is asking them to ask that themselves. Where are you? Where am I? where am I? What have I just done? And they are unable to answer. Instead, they deflect and they blame. And that's usually what we do when we're in control is we give an excuse for why this is the right response instead of taking a beat and just self-examining, what am, where am I? Yes. Why am I responding this way? What am I trusting in more than God? What do I think is going to give me more security than God? Yeah. And so that would be my little like teaser of like one form of agency. There's six or seven, I think that I list. Uh, And and you don't think of self-examination as a form of agency, but it's really, really important one. Yes. So that's the first thing I would say. But then the second thing I would say is has nothing to do with agency at all and more to do with grace. Mm. Because we know, you know, we shouldn't control. We know sometimes control is about idolatry. It's about believing my life would be better, you know, if I was in the driver's seat. Uh, I get that language from Jennifer Dukes Lee, who has a great book on control. And so we know, you know, it's there's a sin component to it. But we also wrestle with control because we live in a Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1. Wow. And part of the reason we wrestle with control is that the world is not as it should be. Mm. And the world is broken. And we do love people who make terrible, difficult, destructive decisions. And it is not wrong to desire security and stability. And it's not wrong to want to heal what is broken in the world. And so I also want to speak that word of grace over people that to not feel just shame and guilt about wrestling with control, but to know that some of what your soul is crying out for, God agrees. And that is why he sent his son ultimately to heal what we cannot. Yeah, that's good. Sharon, I cannot wait for everybody to read this book. I love books that I walk away and have like, here's what I should do. And I love books that I walk away and I'm like, oh, wow, there's so much for me to do. And and you've done that with The Cost of Control where it's like, oh, I have like this. I just took another book like this into counseling and I hand it to my counselor. I said, this is the this is our problem. Here it is. So this is the next one that's going with me. I'm going to be like, Jennifer, look at this book. We have a problem. Annie has a control problem. Is there anything we didn't say about the book that you want to make sure we say? I don't think so. Okay. I can't wait. I will link to the videos and to the pre-order stuff. Diane Langberg. You quote mm, her a couple of times, Redeeming yeah. Power. Yeah. That book one. changed me. Mm-hmm. She's coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Oh, I am very scared. I'm nervous. <laughs> she seems very tough. I mean, her book is very, uh-huh. like, straightforward. Uh-huh. And I feel like I'm going to be like, hi. Um, <laughs> teach us. Have you met her yet? I haven't. No. Okay, great. Well, we'll bring her on the Disney pod, too, and see okay. what she thinks. What are we going to call our Disney podcast? I don't know. You guys, help us out. Name yeah. our Disney podcast. Yeah. Annie and Sharon, Disney 
adventure. I don't know, something like that. I like where you're going. We, we, <laughs> we, no, we no idea is a bad idea. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> listen, all of you listening, in the comments on this Instagram post, just start telling us what we should call our Disney pod. Sharon, thanks for the work you do. You are just one of my very favorites. I'm so grateful. I'm Thank you. really, really grateful. You know the last question we always ask. You've done this three times now. Mm-hmm. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Mm-hmm. Tell me what sounds fun to you. Yeah, so I knew I was going to have this question, and so I was thinking about it because I think my previous answers have not changed. I think my great. the first time I was on, I said Christmas Hallmark movies, yeah, yeah. and that's still the same. Yes, great. Um, and then I think the last time I said Disney, yes, and that's also still the same. Yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, I need to tell you, I don't know if I've said this on the show yet. In November, uh-huh. our friend Jenna Claire that was uh-huh. in Wicked is starring in a Hallmark Christmas movie. She is the, I know if everyone could see your gasp, she is the main character and in the first ever period piece Disney Hallmark movie. It's set, Hallmark movie, Disney Hallmark. Hallmark, It's set in the 50s. It's amazing. They're starting to show commercials now, and I screamed like a schoolgirl when I saw her face on the bottom of the Hallmark channel. Oh my gosh. You're going to love it. My mouth is just hung open like, for the last like, five minutes. We have a friend who is a Hallmark that star. Is amazing. I know. You're going to love it. So, okay, so those answers are still both true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually, I'm going to get really like philosophical here because I I was thinking about this morning because I knew you were going to ask me this question and I was like, well, I really enjoy, I brought my friend Jenna with me and that's been really fun and I like being in Nashville with my friend. Lady Bird Taco. Lady Bird Taco. What did y'all end up doing for lunch? I didn't even ask. uh, We went to Greenhouse actually. Oh, Greenhouse. Yeah, it was good. And then... My kids, the current age that they're at, is, like, super-duper fun. There's there's actually a lot that is fun right now, and so I just feel really grateful, and I really love this exercise of just thinking through that. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a lot that is fun right now. That's good. I feel like we are so quick to say when seasons are hard, and Mm -hmm. we're slow to say when they're good. Mm -hmm. Because there's this weird feeling about, like, if I say things are good, A, I'm going to curse it, which Mm -hmm. is not how God works, or B, people are going to think I'm bragging, and no, they aren't. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to have good seasons. And so good yeah. on you. It's yeah. just fun. And the Lord wants you to forgive everybody. So yeah. good luck with that. So <laughs> that, just, that sounds fun. Thanks for being here, friend. I can't wait for people to read The Cost of Control. Thank you. Oh, you guys, don't you love her? She's so smart. She's so direct, but kind. Like, she just is not messing around, you guys. This book is so, so important. Make sure you grab your copy of The Cost of Control and follow Sharon so you can tell her thank you for being on the show today. And don't forget to pop to that link in the show notes and sign up to be a part of the big group of us. A thousand plus already signed up are going to be Chase the Funners all together. Is it going to stick? I don't know. I like the name. We're going to see what happens. But remember, we start today. Let's do this together, friends. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you, and I'll do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is my cousin's wedding this weekend. Oh, my gosh, I cannot wait. It's going to be so fun. So I'm very excited to see my family get on that dance floor and have a great time. So y'all have a great week. We'll see you back here on Thursday with my new friend, Lainey Hayes. Y'all, this is a show you requested. After Walker Hayes was on, you said, we got to hear from his wife and we got her. So come back on Thursday. You're going to love this one. See y'all then.